we, uh, we continue on in our study of, uh, of our confidence in Christ. I'll make sure I'm getting this all set up. Um, and this is our third study in minding your own business. And I think uh, it might have seemed a little bit intriguing as to why we would call a study on the will of God minding your own business. But hopefully you've seen how when we're able to understand how the will of God is uh, explained to us in Scripture and what that uh, is all about, we're then able to mind our own business and live with uh, certain confidence throughout every situation. There we go. Throughout every situation in our lives. And in other words, knowing what God wants us to do enables us to live without having to fuss and busybody over other people's situations and other people's uh, lives. But it truly is one of the most stressful moments in many people's lives. And in years of pastoral ministry, I've had many people come and be absolutely plagued with this question, what does God want me to do? To so many of us, we have this picture of God as dangling his secret will over our head. People terrified with such important questions like, should I marry him or should I marry her? Should I move? Should we change jobs? Should I quit? Should I uh, what should I study what should I, when I'm in college? What career path should I choose? And what should I, or even just simply, what should I do on Friday night? What does God want from me? What does God want me to do? If you don't know, that is incredibly stressful, right? It can be incredibly stressful if you don't know what God wants from you. So hopefully, as you've in, uh, gone through this uh, study, you have gotten a clearer idea as you've considered and prayed and the Holy Spirit has instructed you through his word as to what God's will for your life is through these three concentric circles. God's sovereign will, God's moral will, and God's individual will. And I can't stress this enough, so we go over these each time because they've plagued so many people. Um, the, the wrong angle can bring you to the wrong effect. The idea that God's work, God's will for you is just to be always doing good works, following man-made rules, doing lots of good stuff. And the reason why this can be a trap, it's not that doing good is bad, of course, but it's problematic because people think if I do enough good stuff, that's God's will, then God will grant me my will. That's problematic. That's hugely problematic. God, it treats God like a sort of gumball machine, but the really big quarters you put into the God gumball machine is, I'm doing lots of good stuff. I'm doing lots of stuff that I know God thinks is good. Therefore, God's going to give me lots of good stuff back. Religious observations, thinking that God wants us to keep up with certain religious observations. And so uh, various uh, churches and religions, man-made religions, and, and churches that have made man-made rules have... Uh, structured whole systems to appeal to this natural desire to try to please God to find God's will as if all God wants is for you to do these sacraments these 7 12 13 steps all God wants you to do is be in church on Sunday if you're in church on Sunday everything else is fine right any of us country music fans I always think it's amazing how the same singers who are singing those rowdy honky-tonk Saturday night songs are singing the Sunday morning hymns the next day and nobody ever says now hold on a minute y'all that ain't just that ain't right nobody says that isn't that weird Seems like that's, that's allowed. It's almost as if by doing the Sunday morning song, they kind of can forget about the Saturday night song, right? So religious observances has that same kind of idea of, well, God, I gave you Sunday morning. I might have even given you Bible study on Wednesday, but I'm not going to, you know, I get fr Friday nights just for me. 
Next, we did, we haven't talked about this one as I continue to meditate and pray over this list, is mystical means. This is very frequently, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray about it, which is always a good thing, as we'll see in tonight's study. But then God will give me some sort of mystical, magical, almost um, superstitious sign. As I was praying over it, I you know, heard the kettle whistle and that assured me. Or as I was praying over that or thinking about that, I saw a bluebird and the bluebird reminded me that that was probably what God wanted. That's not how God operates. God doesn't work in unclear, ridiculous signs where you're reading the tea leaves of your life through some sort of mystical means. No amount of head clearing and, and, and meditation is going to bring you to the will of God, to, to um, you know, tarot card out the will of God. So mystical means for ascertaining the will of God have to be rejected. Finally, seeking the approval of others. And this is going to be easily confused with a good thing to do that we'll look about, finding counsel. But finding out if you could just poll everyone in your life and find out what they think you should do, then that's probably what God wants you to do. It's a terrible way to discover the will of God. I mean, yes, again, there'll be great importance in seeking counsel, specifically godly counsel. But we cannot be sure of what God's will is just because others said it was so or others approved it. Finally, or, uh, moving forward, the golden road. Is it just the most treacherous thing? We hold this idea that God has some golden road that's hidden from our eyes. And if we could just find the right glasses and put them on, then God's road would be available for us. He's got this perfect path of blessing, but he's, he's not going to tell you what it is. What a cruel and horrifying picture of God. And yet, we all have that picture of God sometimes. God, just tell me where all the blessings and all the good stuff is. And tell me where none of the bad stuff and none of the pain and none of the suffering is. He says, here is the funny thing. The pain and the suffering and the trials and the heartache is exactly where I have you to go. And you call it the bad stuff, but I call it the good stuff. Because that's how I'm going to conform you to the image of Christ. Right? So this idea, again, of God's will as being the one that's always going to give you the, the greatest blessing, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest happiness on a worldly sense, get all my stuff, uh, then we're out of line. Next, the peace plan. This is just, I feel peace about it, must be right. Absolutely wrong. The human heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. You can certainly, I can certainly make myself or be made to feel peaceful or reassured about a decision that 100% violates the will of God, the moral will of God or the plan of God. So we want to look at these and continue to remind ourselves we could add so many to this list. Different ways and wrong ways, unbiblical ways of thinking about God's will that oftentimes will misconstrue his character, make him out to be some kind of monster who's playing terrible tricks on us. So this is the premise that I want to drive into your mind. God's will is revealed in the Bible. God's will is always revealed in the Bible. You're not going to find God's will outside of the Bible. And we're going to examine that uh, more thoroughly because it's a more complicated issue than that. But at some level, it's not. Because if you have any reservation about the reality that God's word reveals God's will for your life, when push comes to shove, when the chips are down, you'll very likely look somewhere else, right? Your sin nature gets in, it gets in the driver's seat, takes charge, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you're going anywhere but God's word, anywhere but what God would recommend. 
So, when we look at how we're going to find, how we're going to derive God's will from Scripture, for my individual will, that part that everybody wants to know about, right? Everybody's most interested in that. We're going to note that this, there's some genius to the way that God revealed himself in his word. And that is that in order to get to God's individual will, at least in this diagram, you have to go through some other things. So first, if you're going to get to God's individual will, you're going to start to ask questions about, and whatever it is, the trouble is it's so easy. It would be so easy for us to, you know, just name test case after test case after test case. And um, that is where we have to ask, is this in line with first God's sovereign will? So whether it's who you're going to marry or what job you're going to take, we want to first ask, is it in line with God's sovereign will? Now, we've mentioned before, God's sovereign will cannot be broken. It's his sovereign will. The timing of the rapture, your salvation, all of these things are set and settled in God's sovereign will. He's declared them to be so. They're not going anywhere. So then you say, well, then what difference does that make when I'm trying to make individual decisions? Well, while we cannot change or break God's sovereign will, we can make choices that basically align us with God's sovereign will or set us at odds with God's sovereign will. And I don't have to tell you how frustrating life can be when you're at odds with God. Because I've heard of people fighting with God, but I've never heard of anyone winning, not yet. So how does, the first question you want to ask is, how does this decision relate to God's sovereign will for planet Earth? Let me give you a couple obvious examples that could hopefully display what's going on in this. Um, we all know that the next major event in this uh, world is the rapture, and that will be followed by a seven-year tribulation, wherein the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of man, will reach its pinnacle in the kingdom of the Antichrist, right? So anything that you're investing in, maybe as a profession or even just in terms of your, your political affections that are working towards a one-world government, that are working towards globalism, that are working towards that happy, shiny uh, utopia promised by man and technology, what are you really working towards? Well, you're effectively aligning yourself with and facilitating the kingdom of the Antichrist. Will it happen with or without you? Absolutely. But you're not going to be satisfied as a Christian, as a believer, if you choose to align yourself with it, right? So um, that's a, just a very simple, obvious example. What are you investing your time and your energy in? There could be very wonderful things to invest your time and energy in that have nothing to do with directly with your spirituality. You might have uh, model trains or a whittling hobby or a musical hobby, something that's very positive. You say, does this, does this align with the sovereign will of God? And you look and you, you look at what the administration of the kingdom is going to be like and how we're meant to be involved in that. And you go, yeah, this could be building me up for some sort of uh, either... Uh, artistic or value uh, expression ability within that kingdom that I'll be eternally using. I mean, I am personally hoping that Mike is appointed the ruler of all the trains in the, in, in the kingdom of God, and I hope I get to ride with him on some of those choo-choos, because you know in heaven it'll be steamies, right? I mean, wouldn't it be? <laughs> So 
the question is, what are you investing? Are you investing in things that are in line with God's sovereign will and his eternal plan for your soul? Or are you investing in things that ultimately are going against God's will for the earth or this, uh, the, the eternal welfare of your soul? That's going to be an important question to take anything else through. If I take this job, do I want to take this job that does, uh, works towards this end? Or do I want to take that job that works towards this entirely other end? It's always good to take a huge step back and say, what am I planning for? Where am I putting my hopes and my affections? There's another great example of that. You can, we can all choose to put all our hopes in this world, right? We can work ourselves absolutely to death to gain uh, riches or uh, power of some kind. And it's not that there's anything wrong with riches or power in itself. But if we were to throw our entire lives away for something that is surely going to fade, that we can't take on, with us on into the next uh, life, then we'd have to say, no, you've wasted your life in light of God's sovereign plan, right? You labored and toiled for something that was never going to last, right? So um, looking at God's sovereign will can help us draw into perspective what we're meant to be doing. It is ultimately God's sovereign will for Jesus Christ to be glorified, and he will be glorified on there. So what is going to be uh, positive and aligned with that goal? Finally, how does this relate to your salvation and your position in Christ? Whatever it is, whether it's a job you're taking or a person you're planning to marry or a relationship you're planning on continuing or not, asking, this, is this an appropriate relationship? Is this an appropriate thing for someone who is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that appropriate? That's a great will, God's will question. So many of the things that we might ask about God's will will either fade into obscurity and say, maybe that's not that important. I shouldn't worry about this so much or come directly into line. No, it probably isn't appropriate for someone who is a heavenly seated uh, saint saved by the blood of Christ and the working of him on the cross, probably isn't appropriate for him to X, Y, and Z, this or that thing, right? So we've taken, hopefully, we've taken our uh, question about God's individual will, and we've run it through, if you like, the rubric or the thinking about how does this align with, or how is God's sovereign will involved? And so that brings us to the next question. The next obvious question is, how does God's moral will affect this? Now, this gets even more specific and easy, even easier to answer. You see... When we consider God's moral will, we've noted that it's something that can be broken and is clearly revealed in Scripture. So the first question that I would recommend you ask, whether it's uh, changing jobs, changing churches, changing households, changing whatever it is you're changing, uh, starting a relationship with someone or ending a relationship with someone, um, you want to start by asking, how will this decision provide for me to know Christ better? How will this decision help me to grow in Christ? Or will this decision help me to grow in Christ? Of all the options, which one is going to give me the, going to give me the most greatest opportunity to grow in Jesus? If I were to take this job, I might make that much less. If I were to go with this uh, situation or spend time with this person, I know I'm going to grow in Christ that much more. If I'm going to invest more of my time into church, I'm going to grow into Christ, grow in Christ more, at least hopefully as we walk in faith and apply the word. So the first question you ought to run anything through as you've got a serious or important decision to make is, is what is going to draw me towards or closer to Jesus? It's not a common question that you get asked, right? 
how we make decisions, or you know, you make a pro and con list, or you uh, do whatever other you know, possibly very helpful um, decision making tactics or tools that you might have used. But the first and most important question one asks, is this going to draw me to Christ? Next, is this going to enable to me to serve the Lord? The Lord does not have for any of us a secular life and a sacred life. There's not a church you and a work you and a home you. God designs all those to be the same you. And in everyone, Christ longs to be, wants to be, wills to be glorified. Therefore, if you've got a work situation wherein you are somehow inhibited from glorifying Christ, from making him known, either because of the nature of that work, somehow it seems to be or is in conflict with his character, or because the uh, rulership of that place somehow forbids you to lift up Christ, to raise Christ, to, to share the gospel or the like. If there's two choices, then which one is going to enable you to serve the Lord more? Furthermore, if you're talking about uh, workplaces just in specific, because that's a very large decision we make, which one is going to give you the most time to be involved in your church family, to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ, and to use your spiritual gifts? If you're not using your spiritual gifts, you're not fulfilling God's ultimate will for your life. Finally asking, will this decision, or how will this decision, cause me to violate the moral character of God? If, it's, if it violates the revealed moral character of God, then it's out. Period. It's not God's will that you ever get into a situation where you're meant to be dishonest. It's not God's will that you'd ever get into a situation wherein you're participating in sexual immorality. It's not God's will that you'd ever put yourself in a position to uh, you know, struggle with illicit drug use or alcoholism or anything else. It will never be God's will that you violate his revealed moral will or his revealed moral character. So when it comes to understanding God's individual will, much of the time, our question is already answered for us. And it's a, it's a, a, a story, an old joke, forgive me, because you've probably heard it, but it's worth telling here. It's told of, of a man who struggled with alcoholism, and he said to his, his pastor, he said, Pastor, I'm just trying to keep off the bottle. It's so difficult because every time I smell the booze, every time I smell the alcohol, it just calls to me, and I'm drawn into the door of, that, of the bar. And, and the worst of it is, Pastor, the worst of it is, is that there's a bar right on my root home. And the pastor said, oh, that's a difficult temptation. Is there any way that you could get home without walking past that bar? And he said, yeah, come to think of it, there is. Now that I think about it, it's even a shorter route. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? But it's true. We can so frequently totally misrepresent what, abs what our lack of options are because we, don't ta or we take for granted that, um, that, that God's will might be that I do this immoral thing. It might be okay in this case. No, God's, God's individual will for your life will never involve violating God's moral will for your life, right? God's will for your life will never be to choose the thing that draws you further from him. God's will for your life will never be to go about with the people that draw you away from him. Now, it might be to be involved and be a witness and a light to them, but never to have them drawing you and influencing you uh, for the world. 
So now we get to the really good stuff, God's individual will, right? And this is the question that we're this is the question that we're asking is how can I know God's individual will for my life? Well, I'm going to just say this again. God's will is revealed in the Bible. I want to I want to repeat it again here because it's so important. And it's so difficult for us because it's hard when we have a question to go to the book. It's tough. It's not our first natural instinct. And my goal here for me and for you is that the next time a big question comes up, we go to the book. So I'm going to keep repeating this mantra. I hope you can deal with it. God's will is revealed in the Bible, in the Word of God. Now, when it comes to God's individual will, we'll talk about the various layers of this, um, but the first thing we need to note as we look through Scripture, think of times when God's individual will was made known to somebody. Think of, um, think of Abraham. When God had an individual will for Abraham, a big plan for Abraham, do you think Abraham was wondering? He was like, well, maybe... No, it was a great voice out of the sky. God interacted with him supernaturally on multiple occasions. When God has an individual or will for someone's life, he wants you to be somewhere. He wants to go somewhere. He wants to do something. This is manifest through the prophets. And, and when Paul, right, was called into his apostleship, when God has an individual will, he has both the ability and the desire to make it known. In other words, God is not asking you to be a heavenly mind reader. If he has something very specific that he wants you to do, you're not going to get out of it. And God is not like some sort of passive-aggressive teenager going to say, well, I really wanted, to, wanted you to be a missionary to France. You know, why didn't you tell me? Well, you know, I just hoped you'd figure it out yourself. No, that's not how God operates. If God has something very specific for you, he's going to make it clear to you through your circumstances, through your situation. It's not going to be something you're wondering, well, maybe I should have, I should have picked up on the signs and the hints and the clues and the, the words and the clouds and the magic eight ball that I asked a question to. No, come on. If God has an individual will for your life that's that specific, and I would warn you that it seems that he has very few people in his whole divine plan for whom his will is that specific. And by the way, while it is a great honor to be chosen by God in one of those amazing situations, it's not usually pleasant. Just going to point that out. Isaiah was chosen in every step of the way. He's a man of unclean lips and unclean heart. He just, he's struggling. He's, he's, he's fighting against it. When you see the prophets called of God, they all seem to come kicking and screaming, and rightly so. Isaiah got cut in half with a saw in a log. That's awful, right? So anyway, while we never want to run from God's will like Jonah, just like Jonah, if God wants you to go to Nineveh, He's going to make it clear. Jonah didn't maybe think he was supposed to go to Nineveh. He knew it. So I want to point that out. I'm not saying that God won't have an individual call on your life like that. I'm saying that you won't be wondering. So after that, after we leave that problem behind us and let God be God and let him direct our paths in that regard and if he wants to step in then we get into the next issue of how we make uh, decisions and live our lives and it's through godly wisdom not worldly wisdom would you please read with me can you make it up 
Do your best. Uh, read with me the words of Proverbs 2, 1 through 8. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Excellent. So, do you want to learn? And this is something that's very important. God's desire for you is maturity. God's desire for you is growth. Just like our desire for our kids is not that at 38 or 25 or even 18 years old, they call me up and say, Daddy, can I have a candy bar? You're 25 years old. You should know how to make that decision for yourself, right? Daddy, can I go on a date with this guy or this girl? No. God's will. Done. You may eventually see. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is that it would be an incredible failure of us as parents if our children were unable to make the basic decisions to live their lives. I'm not saying that children are, are you know, in, not in need of their parents' help. We're all in need of our parents' help for as long as we can possibly have them. That's not it. The point is, is that God wants us to grow to freely make the decisions that are in keeping with his wisdom and his righteousness and his holiness and his love and his grace and his mercy. That's why he made us with these wonderful free wills to respond to his and cooperate with his by design. So then, uh, as James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all liberally without reproach, and it will be given to him. Realize here, James didn't say, if anyone act, lacks answers, ask of God, and God will give you answers of what you're supposed to do. The prayer that James seems to want us to pray, the prayer that Solomon seems to want us to pray is, Lord, give me the wisdom to make the right decision in this and every situation. So what does it mean? To incline your ear to wisdom. It means to incline your ear, to listen to the word of God. To listen to the word of God when it's being taught. Every day, every day, opening up your Bible. Every day, reading out of the book of Proverbs. That's a storehouse of God's practical wisdom for how to uh, interact with your finances, for how to interact with debt, for how to interact with people with anger problems, for how to interact with, uh, interact with those cheap people of your life and with those generous people of your life and those falsely generous people of your life who are just showing off, how to interact with every different or nearly every different situation you can imagine. All in the Proverbs, all in those magical, or uh, magical, in those divinely revealed wisdom books of God. How do I deal with the trials and sufferings of life? Look to Job. He explains. It shows us how we're meant to deal with trials and sufferings. How to deal with romantic love. Look to Song of Solomon. And he'll give you wisdom in your marriage relationship. And in the Proverbs as well. How do I parent? We look to the book of Proverbs. We look to the word of God. It'll give you not the answers, but the way to live life so that you come to the answers. 
Someone has once uh, said, and it's very commonly put out, pointed out, that wisdom is living life skillfully, living life correctly, living life well by God's means. And that's what we is God has made available to us here. But you have to want it. You have to choose it. And we say, why would I ever choose foolishness? I don't know. Why do I always choose foolishness? I don't have a good answer for that one yet. But I know I want to attempt to choose wisdom more and more. So, first, you want to become wise. You want to make good choices in your, uh, the daily decisions and even the big decisions of your life. Then be bathed, reg- regularly be exposing yourself to the wisdom of God and his word feel like you lack wisdom, you feel like you have trouble making good godly decisions, better open up that book of Proverbs. There's one chapter for every single day of the month. I've timed myself. You can read them sometimes in less than a minute and gain something eternal. So next, after you have applied godly wisdom and look to godly wisdom for your uh, search, we look to prayer. Let's open up to James 5, 13 through 18. This is uh, so obvious, again, that, that, that we could almost overlook it, but then, of course, it would be uh, quite a sh- shortcoming indeed. James 5, 13 through 18 said, or reads as follows. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up as if he has committed sins. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. The issue of God's will in this life is difficult to untangle. And God surely exists outside of time and is absolutely all-knowing. And yet every word of Scripture defies the pagan doctrine of determinism or the idea that everything's already decided so it doesn't matter. Evidently, it matters very much. And God considers your prayerful requests and answers some yes and some no for sure. But you, by praying, can affect the shape of what is going on in the world, what might come in or might not come to your life. It's only what the clear word of God says. And it causes philosophical difficulties for some who are maybe overwise for their own perspectives and reality. But nothing will change the fact that there is power in prayer. And as you're making a decision, you're praying for wisdom to make the decision that is best. And you're praying for the outcome that you hope to happen as you dedicate that step to the Lord. And yes, I believe with every fiber of my being that one person could make a decision prayerfully and another person could make that same decision unprayerfully. And in the case of the first person, it would be blessed and right. In the case of the second, it would be sin. It's the clear message of Scripture. 
Philemon 22, it's not the 22nd chapter, it's a very, very short book, consisting only of um, 25 verses. But 22 says, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, Paul writing, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Paul trusts that God is going to bring him to Onesimus, or sorry, to Philemon. Sorry, Onesimus is the slave. He's going to bring him to Philemon through the active working of answering his prayers. God's going to change the shape of reality in order to respond to the prayers of Philemon. Prayer is a must in coming to an understanding and doing the will of God. So if we were to break this down into steps so far, okay, just taking all the steps. First, asking how does this decision, uh, how is this decision affected by a full divine perspective on the sovereign will of God? Next, how is this decision affected by the moral will of God, by what God wants for my life and every other person's life? Finally, how does godly wisdom affect this situation? And then you're taking it to prayer and praying over it. These don't all have to be done in order of course, because that leads us to the next one, which is to get counsel. Back to the Proverbs. Proverbs 11. We're going to knock out a bunch of these because this, I want to note how important this step is in our uh, decision-making process. 11.14, chapter 11 and verse 14 says, where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Chapter 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Chapter 15 and verse 22. Without counsel, plans go awry, but the multitude of counsel, in the multitude of counselors, they are established. 20 verse 18. Plans are established by counsel. By wise counsel, wage war. To put it simply, if you've got a big decision, you'd be a fool to make it on your own. Literally, a fool. You need to take important decisions and hold them up to other godly men and women who love you and care for you and make those decisions uh, together, at least in light of what they've revealed to you. We need to seek, and it's important that we know you want to seek godly counsel. Have you, ever, have you ever gone to look for advice, but you went to the person who you know would give you the advice you wanted, not the advice you needed? I've done that. Selected who I'm going to go through to for counsel because I know that this person will probably pander to what I want them to say because I know their hang-ups or I know their history. But rather, we need to seek, it shouldn't say seeing, it should say seeking godly counsel. We need to seek after godly counsel, even when it hurts. And in today's very polite and pristine way that we treat each other, that means licensing people to hurt your feelings. You know, even if it hurts my feelings, tell me the truth. That's not even enough anymore. Say, I want faithful are the wounds of a friend. I want you to tell me the truth. You, I want your honest opinion. Tell me if I'm being foolish, right? You have to almost, you know, punch someone in the nose before they tell you the truth in this disgusting and deceptive society that we live. It's so polite, so sweet, so afraid of conflict. But do it. 
ask, no, no, what do you really think? Some of the wisest people in your life are wise enough to know that most of the time you don't really want the truth. So make sure you're soliciting the truth. You're asking for the truth. Seeking godly counsel and then, the hard part, heed that counsel. I've given so much advice to people who push me and then they go do something else and whether or not my wisdom was the point, it's just interesting and frustrating to give advice that doesn't get heated and then have to do the I told you so's because there's no pleasure in it if you really care for the person, right? So seek it and heed it, listen to it. It doesn't mean obey it necessarily, but certainly take it into account and try to convince or be convinced by the other person uh, if you're gonna go otherwise. What about? Okay, I'm not gonna scripture, I'm not gonna blow through the scripture on all of this. I just wanna note, there's a lot of whatabouts. And ordinarily I would have blown through and just skipped this, I wouldn't have done this slide. But the more I'm, I've walked on this planet, the more I realize if you don't tell someone something's bad, something's wrong, something's destructive, then you're gonna get the, well, you didn't say not to. Like, oh. So here's the you should have known better list, all right? What about casting lots? Casting lots is done in the Old Testament, right, to, to uh, the, the Urim and the Thummim, and there's this whole process whereby God allowed Israel in that one specific dispensation to find out what the will of God would be by casting lots or drawing straws or some other kind of game of chance to make your decision as if God's decision would be put forth in those lots. I want to be very clear. That was totally appropriate for Israel in the Old Testament. That is totally inappropriate for us in the church. Does anybody remember the last time in the Bible anyone cast lots to make a decision? It's okay if you don't. What's that? Oh, so you're saying Jesus? It's wrong, but it's a good one. It's very late in the game. You're getting close. The last time anyone cats, casts cats lots, casts lots to make a decision is in Acts chapter 1. You know it? Yeah, you knew it. Acts chapter 1. It's when they're trying to figure out who's going to replace Judas. And it's the last time that they cast lots. And does anybody know why? Because they hadn't yet been given the Holy Spirit of God. It is the last time they use an Old Testament method of determining what the will of God might be. But now you have the Holy Spirit of God. You have the full counsel of God. You have the body of Christ around you. And you never need to throw dice to figure out what God's will is again. So don't try. It is in an inferior way. Or it would be, it's actually would be a heretical way to make decisions in this time period. Dream, looking after dreams and visions. It's very common in difficult and tumultuous times, especially if you have a, a decision to make that might hurt or change, uh, affect many lives, to have dreams about that. And wonder, is God speaking to me through dreams or through visions? And I don't want to pretend like it's absolutely, well, I'm going to be honest with you. Don't bet on it. Err on the side of caution at the very least. I, uh, I, would be, I would be fully comfortable saying that I would never trust a dream as being from God. Because again, on the very rare occasions that we do see God communicating through dreams, it's, it's oftentimes, in fact, to unsaved people, right? To communicate with them, to bring them to Israel so that they can have the dream interpreted and know that the God of Israel is the God of all gods. Um, but it's never normative. It's never expected. We're never asked to look for or pray for revelation in that sense. So don't look for it there. 
It's, in, again, inferior. So people have a dream. What does a dream usually show? It generally shows that you're tied up or bound up about something, that you're just not at peace with it very frequently, right, if it's going to affect your, your dream life. So don't look to dreams. Don't look to visions. As my uh, proof text for this, we look at um, Peter standing on the roof in Acts chapter 10. And what does he do? God lowers the sheet and says, take, you know, Peter, eat. And he goes, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's unclean, right? Remember that one? And then what happened? Peter was confused. And so God did it again. And Peter was confused. So God did it again. What do I want to point out? It was so such a strange and odd form that even Peter, who lived in one of the most miraculous time periods of our dispensation, even though he who had experienced and done great miracles, he still was going, I'm not sure I'm going to put a lot of weight on this. I might just have gas. And if that's Peter then it better be you too, okay? Let's not go around saying, well, I had a dream about it, and therefore making some foolish decision that really has nothing to do because, yeah, we don't even talk about all the ridiculous possible influences upon your dreams. Next, superstition. Again, this can be any kind of superstition that we might uh, take, looking for signs, looking for signals, looking for some sort of indication from the universe or from some other weird, mystical, hocus-pocus source. And I say it because I've heard it from the lips of Christians saying, I'm not sure what to do, and then I heard a bluebird sing, or I'm not sure what to do, and then I flipped this page in the Bible, and now I know, well, goodness gracious. Finally, divination. This one's an easy. This one's a no-go. Don't ever go get your palm read. Someone says they're a little psychic. Tell them to go a little bit further away from you. There is no righteous way in which we are meant to look into the future things of God. We're not designed to. It can be tempting, again, particularly in difficult times, to, to just, I mean, almost jokingly call the psychic hotline or almost jokingly reference someone of some demonic means or pull your tarot cards or do a Ouija board or whatever it is. It's always evil. It's always sinful. Always stay away from it. It's divination. It's sin. It's satanic. And the only things that might communicate you with you will be the spirits of darkness. Don't do it. Never will you find God's will revealed through divination to you. That is a proof positive guarantee. You can take it to the bank. Anytime someone says, the Lord spoke to me and told me what you should do, ask him why he didn't tell you. I mean, goodness gracious. Anytime someone says the Lord spoke to you or the Lord told you, know that that is probably a well-meaning goofball they had a feeling they had an intuition they had an idea and for some reason they've mistaken their own thoughts with god's that's a dangerous person to be around anyway i'll point out but generally speaking not generally speaking always speaking someone comes up and says they had a revelation of the lord as to what you're supposed to do you can look and say nope that's not appropriate that is not correct god speaks through his word through his spirit through his circumstances and that's there's no um there's no way I'm just going to point that out at this point in the game where we're at in the church of god that you need to tolerate or entertain the foolishness of someone giving you such a line Finally, there's the idea of laying a fleece before the Lord. This one's popular because, of course, it re re relates back to um, Joshua. Joshua? Joseph? Nope. Which one? Gideon. Gideon. 
thank you. Gideon lays a fleece before the Lord, right? God asks him to do something. He cannot believe it to lead the armies of God against the Midianites, and he just can't buy it. So Gideon says, I'm going to lay this fleece out and make everything else wet, but not the fleece. And then he goes and does it the other way the next time. Which way? Well, I'm going to reverse those two. And uh, in this way, he tests the will uh, of God and, and knows that what God told him to do was, in fact, what God told him to do. Now, the big problem with that situation, because people will say, well, I've got a decision, so I'm going to lay a fleece before the Lord. There's a big problem. That's one, it's called the narrative normative fallacy. It's saying something happened in Scripture once, so that must be a model for me to do the same thing. Not the case. Absolutely not the case. Uh, it's not good, responsible Bible reading. But going even a step further, the parallels very rarely the same. Usually when someone says they're laying a fleece before the Lord, they're dealing with two options that are possible. But when, um, when Gideon laid a fleece before the Lord, he knew exactly what God told him to do. He was just authenticating that it was the, ca uh, that it was the case. God had chosen him for one of those very special roles. And really, it was almost an act of faithlessness to say, all right, I told, you told me, but I really don't want to. It was him being drugged, kicking and screaming into the will of God. And we can understand why. I'd have been scared too. But let's not draw that apart and make that some sort of standard in decision making. Because it's kind of getting back to your coin flips. It's not the maturity that God has for us. So again, I would say that all these ideas that very frequently get drawn into a picture, uh, including, you know, like, torturing yourself or fasting or refusing to sleep or whatever it is. There's all sorts of ways in which we can uh, try to mystically, magically try to come to the will of God on our own. And what we're really trying to do is abdicate and weasel our way out of responsibility. God wants you to make the choice that you think is best, most godly, and going to be the best for others and the best for your relationship with him. And then when it goes horribly awry, he wants you to take responsibility and learn and grow from that. It's just not that difficult. Close our time just by looking at Romans 12, 1 and 2 very, very briefly because we can't, uh, can't underestimate how important this is in, in distilling and understanding the word of God. Read with me, please. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We talked about it last week. We won't belabor the point. But you're resisting the outward pressure from the world to make you worldly. And you are submitting to the transformational process of the Lord renewing your mind, your fleshly wrong, awful, bad human thinking with his divine perspective, his divine thoughts, his divine standards. And when you do that, as you do that, you're increasingly able to know, well, of course God wouldn't want this. Of course this is the right or the godly or the wise choice in this situation. So, in closing our, our study on God's individual will, and, and then we'll move on with our study of confidence in Christ, we want to note, we want to make sure that our decision will, never, uh, will not, not oppose his sovereign will. Again, you're never going to beat his sovereign will, but we want to get to the point where you're not opposing, you're not running up against his sovereign will, because it's just hitting your head against a spiritual wall. We want to make sure that God's, uh, we understand that God's individual will will never violate his moral will. 
God's individual will for you. So as long as you know what God's moral revealed character is, you will know that it is God's moral will to, uh, to keep it, to keep in, be in keeping with that. I, uh, your, God's individual will will always be in accord with godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not worldly shrewdness or cleverness, but godly wisdom as it's revealed through his word, specifically through um, uh, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Job. So think, meditate on God's word, think over your choices, enjoy that process of trusting the Lord through them, pray and get good counsel, and you will be able to test and approve what God's will is.